I'm Avery Arden of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Holy crap, it's 2022, and the world is still a mess. But I hope this episode offers you a little encouragement for how we can all do our small part to bring a little heaven, a little healing, a little joy into that mess. You're going to be hearing my conversation with one of my classmates from seminary, who is a real hoot. Really, he's hilarious, he's fun, he believes in the power of swearing, so content warning for lots of swear words in this one. And his work takes him into some intense places, so content warning also for discussions of mental illness, addiction, suicide ideation, of abuse, neglect, and trauma, including among children, Content warning also for mentions of the Holocaust, of hell, of homophobia. Yeah, this episode is a wild mix of intense, difficult topics and lots of love and laughter. Eric is one of those people who truly does give me some much-needed hope for the world. He and I had this conversation all the way back in September when he responded to my call for name change stories to ask me if I'd be interested in his unique spin on that theme. Rather than talking about a literal name change, the transformation that's taken place for Eric involves how he names his faith. As a kid, he grappled with Methodist versus Baptist and Christian versus gay. Throughout college and grad school, he shifted from Christian labels to embrace the name pluralist agnostic. Then in seminary, he added womanism to specify some elements of his beliefs. You'll hear all the wonderful details about how Eric has gotten to this point right after you hear from another podcast on the Rock Candy Network. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano. I host Bubble and Squeak here on the Rock Candy Network. I tell personal, revealing stories. He whispered, did you just masturbate? Because I felt a terrible presence of evil enter the... I make prank phone calls to the past. Heimbach. General Star, Elijah Heimbach speaking. How may I help? Into the future. <clears throat> because my boyfriend and I are just not having enough sex. Always a problem with the pub sex. You just have to listen to it. It's too hard to describe. Check out Bubble and Squeak wherever you listen to podcasts. So uh, my name is Eric Sharp. Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I, okay. I can finally say the licensed part. Yay. We got that during the pandemic. Congrats. Thank you. I am a systemic therapist. I, a lot of therapists work at the individual level. Um, a lot of my training um, from the Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of my training is not just looking at the individual mental health level, but also understanding that our relationships with others, um, the environments that we live in can also impact mental health. And if we're looking at it from a systemic level, that's really where we're, we're having power to make second order change, not just first order change. Yeah. The first order changes, we, we change up the people, but it's still the same. It's still the same play just been cast differently for second order change. We want to change the system, especially in the year 2021, if we're discovering just a few of them are broken. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that is where I work. Um, I also have a specialty. Like my, my focus is working at uh, with folks in the LGBTQ plus community Mm -hmm. um, at the intersection of this is where my job gets really fun. Uh, religious trauma, mm-hmm. spiritual formation, uh, family conflict, and then just stepping into an authentic life of success. However, that that is defined by my client. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I also have a lot of experience working in the field of trauma, especially childhood trauma, which is also impacted the way that I think about human health um, because I have a very trauma informed lens. Yeah. 
so yeah and then when i'm not doing this i love theater and music um and in a lot of i don't know i i think about performance um and and being able to make sense of the human experience through the things that we do when we're not actively trying yeah playfulness yes um, yes yeah it's play and music play and theater uh yeah yeah just the importance of story and art heck yeah, yeah. And if I have a really long day, I'm going to make the world's most intricately like uh, assembled grilled cheese. Because oh my gosh. If I have no oh control in the world, I'm going to control that sandwich. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's how I cope. Heck so yes. yeah, that's, that is me. Yeah, awesome. I, I'm also trying to like keep myself, I have a little bit of like a brake pedal on because I, if you get me talking, I won't stop uh, that's know. yeah that's fine um and like i think i mentioned to you like if this goes on super long either i'll cut it down or just make it its own like bonus episode if you want to sort of set up that premise and then yes. dive in um, yeah so my name change i am cis oh part of my introductions i am oh, a cis white male mm-hmm. who identifies as gay mm-hmm. uh, which is my teeny tiny window of oppression um <laughs> But that teeny tiny window of oppression has taught me the importance of of authenticity. And, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. if people are screaming and protesting, there's probably a reason why. And instead, right. instead of just being like, it's too loud, we should go listen. Um, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a pretty basic philosophy, but I think it helps. Um, yeah. And I think in a way, I, I sort of like being a cis male. Only because I think we need good role models. Um, sure, yeah. And as a cis white male, I don't... It's hard to find them these days. Yeah, I got yeah. Mr. Rogers and Thomas Merton, I think. Sure, yeah. And then I'm like, I, I need to stop researching because my list gets shorter and shorter every time I do so. So, yeah, I, I, yeah uh, thinking about names, which I think is last year realizing that like I have guilt around the word white, which is fun. Yeah, All and that. I mean, pretty typical but yeah then learning how to navigate guilt versus actually like accountability and stuff is yeah definitely something i've gone through as well yeah i think there's like a sacred pain of trying to love uh because you discover as you try to love there's a lot of injury that you have to love up to wow (laughs) yeah dang i I, i'm gonna choose love every single time but I, i think it can i think it can get heavy and i hope that there are people who build the community to to sit with it is that part of where I'm going to go today? Um, and we'll talk sort of about heaven and hell. I, I really, okay. I, weird, I weirdly got there at the end and I'm like, oh. No, I, I love talking about heaven and hell. Let's do it. <laughs> heaven and hell. Um, so, okay. I'm sort of going all over the place. I might come back to that stuff. Would you okay. like me to just jump into to the beginning? Yeah. yeah. We're going to go back to like an 11 year old Eric. Yes, rewind. Uh, <laughs> So I'm, I'm bummed. I was trying to find this piece of writing uh, and I couldn't find it. But it is one of the most cringeworthy things I have ever written. Uh, I wrote it when I was 11. That little kiddo has grown up so much and I'm so grateful that he has. Uh-huh. <laughs> to give you a snapshot of, of my, my little bit of years, um, I, I would say I grew up in a Christian household, but there was a little, um, there was a little conflict. Uh, my mom's side was more Methodist. And from the way that my grandparents talked about it, it was very like a think about the uh, the parables of Jesus. How did Jesus, how did Christ act? How what yeah. was trying to teach? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side, my dad's side, we had Southern Baptist, which was a lot more. I think about rigidity and respect. It is disrespectful yeah. to ask questions. Just do the thing that you were taught to do. Yes. Yeah. A side that open is open to asking questions and exploring yes. versus a side that's like, here's exactly what you should believe and how you should respond to that belief. And if you're doing it wrong, it's wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think there's an understood element of danger and risk from that perspective of mm-hmm. like, that, that's how people fall off the cliff. Don't, don't go to the right. cliff. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Like the reason you shouldn't question is because the people who question end up going down dangerous paths towards yeah. hell. Yeah. It's it's a loving flex, mm-hmm. but not not the flex I would choose. But <laughs> yeah. I, I can understand it. Yeah, <laughs> explains it, doesn't justify it. Yes, 
Um, so then in, uh, when I was in middle school, I ended up going to this Christian youth group, which was like, it's its own third thing. Uh, and Christian sort of felt like, oh, well, I don't have to worry about Methodists or that. I'm Christian. Um, and so that was sort of like, that's, I, I would say that was my early identity. Um, and in that, that thing that I wrote when I was 11, there were two things very clear. Um, oh, I had a big old gay crush on my best friend. And I had a big old gay crush on Jesus. And I was, I was yes. like... If I had replaced Jesus with NSYNC, it would have looked exactly the same. I was just like, this is amazing. Love it. Yeah. So, um. I also had a big gay crush on Jesus <laughs> in, like, in high school. I was like writing poetry to him. <laughs> I wouldn't go on a date with Christ. I know, right? So yeah, in the midst of all of that, I, I had the Christian youth group and it was great, but I definitely had a big old gay crush on two folks and I, I yeah. would quickly learn in the next four years that neither of those were really appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I think I tried to come out like three times and every it was never malicious, but it was mm -hmm. always the one for like, I don't think that's you. Like you, uh, oh, you just haven't found the right person. Right. Um, yeah. And unfortunately I was that uh, student who didn't drink or party mm -hmm. and was also a very smart kid, like a nerd kid. So <laughs> I was like, well, if I can learn AP chemistry, I can learn heterosexuality. I just oh my gosh. I did such similar things when it came to like, like you said, like um, you like performance, that idea of like, you can perform this if you just study yeah. enough and, and watch what other people are doing. <laughs> I did that a lot as like an autistic kid. Like, I don't know if you're aware of the concept of masking where mm -hmm. you put on a neurotypical mask so that people don't treat you like shit basically and I <laughs> like it's all about just performing the role that you study mm -hmm. but if we're going for a life of authenticity performance isn't always helpful. no yeah it can be fun it could be interesting you'll learn things about yourself but I sure will <laughs> <laughs> it's exhausting to always be performing for even uh, yourself yeah and it doesn't create a healthy sense of soul no. um because then you're you're constantly wondering if there are exceptions of like well am I, is there a problem? Because yeah. one of, I think one of the things I started being afraid of was, was I created an error, uh, mm. as opposed to being divinely created. Like, yeah. was someone like, just not on their shift? And like, as I was being created, they're like, eh, don't tell God. <laughs> <laughs> this one has a, a little mistake there, but it's fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, oh. But I, I think, especially when you're growing up with that theology, you, and you have no one to talk to, it's, you start to, I don't know, you start to wonder if the problem, if the problems are coming from inside the house. Um, yeah. Which that, I think that was the process I did. And so I remember probably going into high school, like God versus gay became a concept. Mm. Um, I, there is scarcity. I am, I've only got room for one hand in my deck. Mm. Is it, is it going to be God or is it going to be gay? Mm. Um, and I remember like the first three interventions, <laughs> not intervention, but the, yeah. The first three times that I was able to talk to someone outside of my own brain, yeah, we went in the God direction. And yeah. so I, by the time I made it to college, um, God was really flimsy and gay was getting really horny. <laughs> 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 I, I realized that, that may not be a beautiful theological thing to say, but like, yeah. I, hey, I mean, it's part of, for many people, sexuality is important. So that's, you know, it's, well, it's Horny, but also lonely. I think I... Mm -hmm. I was watching my friends be in these relationships and like trying to do it. And it well, not. especially like you tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels like for cis men, especially or in straight men, like the only intimacy you really get is from a romantic or sexual relationship. Like yeah. you're not, you're, you're probably like touch starved and shit because men don't touch each other. You can't, no! not in our culture where like you can't do a friendly, like, cuddle session with your male friends like it's needed like we yeah. need touch yeah it, yeah and if, if the only kind of touch you're taught you can have is sexual thing and you and then you're like but i can't have the kind of sexual touch i would want uh -huh. then yeah you're gonna be horny and you're gonna be lonely it makes total sense yep uh, yeah. and probably make some bold choices in the process <laughs> <laughs> which is you know what college i think is for <laughs> Sure. That's that's how I interpret the experience. Yeah, I mean, my current, my now wife was my roommate in 
<laughs> so <laughs> we made some bold choices. You might I am, say. I'm all here for a bold choice. <laughs> That is, oh, and can I say congratulations? I know, right? Congratulations! <laughs> living, like, living that, like, um, bad rom-com life. <laughs> hey, good process. Yeah. No, yeah, good. it worked out for us. <laughs> Yay! I love a good weird story like that. Yeah. Like, oh, it works out. It's kind of corny, but cute. It's all good. <laughs> My husband and I both randomly broke our schedules and got drunk and went out to big bar during a blizzard neither of us go out mm-hmm. and that's how we met each other uh, oh my gosh we would have probably met each other at some point else but like for some unknown reason both of us headed to a bar in a blizzard on the night we never went uh, oh my I, gosh he's in the other room uh, yeah. <laughs> i love it i love it uh life is weird but lovely i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, just yeah the weird know. weird random coincidences that draw us together yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. College was a much needed experience because I met some new people mm-hmm. because I, I think going back to performance, mm-hmm. I, I knew what the word meant, uh, to perform as Christian. And then it, there mm-hmm. is this word I heard that was always synonymous with like Satan, which was oh. atheist. <laughs> oh, of course. I came from a really small town. So mm-hmm. in high school, there were some people who were like flirting with hopping off the cliff to atheism, but like... <laughs> I don't know if anyone ever made it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in college, like, no, they were there. They had hopped off. They had right. built a gorgeous settlement. And it wasn't a hop. They climbed down. They're, yeah, yeah. They were doing. Their, they parent, their parents and guardians were no longer there to, like, hold on to the back of their shirt before they could get off the cliff. Yes. And the other thing I realized is I, so the performance I had was like, oh, college, mm-hmm. how does one make friend? Right. Uh and so I was like, okay, I, I Christian, you Christian, we Christian together. Yes. The, the particular Christian group I found were very judgmental. Mm. They were very mean. Um, and there, were, there always seemed to be like scarcity at the table for how much grace someone could get. Yeah. And then I met a group of atheists mm-hmm. who were the closest thing to an embodied Christ I'd seen. Mm-hmm. Um, their version of atheism, I think, gave them permission to sort of mess with the status quo. Nice. So they were very bold and brave in their love and acceptance. And they were just mm-hmm. like some of my absolute favorite people. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they just had a way of making you feel loved when you were around them. Yeah. Uh, but then I go back to this like, well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make sense because right. I thought that's what Christians did. And you all right. are atheists and you're, you're killing it. You're absolutely... And I want to hang out with you. I, mm-hmm. This yeah. feels authentic. The other, yeah, just way more nourishing. Of, so of, much more nourishing of community. And, yeah, and understanding of like I'm going to put this in air quotes, but you can't see air quotes on a recording. But like, yeah. laws of humanity. They they didn't see them as flaws. They were just like, oh, it's different. But mm-hmm. also, if someone yells at you for that, you're not going to feel good about it. Okay, uh-huh. good folks um, mm-hmm. who yeah. all just happen to be out atheists. Um, but I. I think there was a part of that experience where I, I held on to their love and I was like, I don't know what the final table looks like, but you all have definitely earned your seat. Uh-huh. So that was college. I came out at that time, which was fun. I ended up random. This is a whole story in and of itself. Um, do I need to filter my language on this? No, you can swear, swear away. Okay. Cause I, I love swearing. Do it. Were you there when I preached a sermon at seminary? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. so Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> dirty words and the dirty works of Christ. Yes. I yeah, remember that. Like a big part of my theology as well. Um, yeah, that's one of the sermons I remember best from chapel. So <laughs> I scared a lot of people in that process. Yeah. The community showed up and they were great. But I just remember a lot of people being like, are you sure we can bring this in? And I'm like, <laughs> Positive. Yeah. It no. was like my therapy session all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a human space. We, we got this. Yeah. Yeah. I warned you this might be a long story. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, so I graduated and I started working in residential with 14 to 17 year olds with anger issues. Um, I also worked at a methadone clinic working with folks who were overcoming uh, opiate addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, after college, I worked for, a, a, before I made it to grad school, this, these were my, these were my three years off, which I, oh, also, gotcha. I, I took some fun jobs. Yeah. So I had, Residential treatment, which is, I think, 
at eight months, I started having panic attacks on the way to work. And that was how I knew that it was time to put in my two week notice. Yes. Yeah. You know, the things that you learn when you step out into the world and realize that, yeah, there are parts of the world that are much more intense than you've ever seen. And that I think really helped me think about my theology because it was no longer just, you have to think about everyone. Um, Yes. Yeah. These folks are everyone. Um, And I think one of the things I really love from that experience was as a therapist, I'll see a diagnosis. I'll I'll see the paperwork I get. And Mm -hmm. if I just start there, it's very easy to build an idea about a person. Yeah. Uh, I found very quickly that I didn't want to always just rely on that. And sometimes I do it second because I wanted to get an idea of the person first. Because when we have limited language, I I don't know, uh, a problem with attachment and control if I don't check myself, I could already decide who that person is before I Absolutely. even. And so that, yeah. I think that was a really big, important part of what I did was realizing that I'm not the expert. Mm-hmm. Um, I am one human being on a teeny tiny planet and my brain is big, but it's not that big. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm so glad you have that point of view because there are way too many like therapists, counselors and the like who are very much like my word is law, like type thing. And I have so many friends who've had terrible, terrible experiences with diagnosis. And once you get a certain label on your paperwork, that's how doctors and therapists are going to treat you forever, basically. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, well, and it's, thinking about health, we have nature versus nurture. Right, Um, yeah. And I say yes, all day. I I will never know. So I'm just going to have to assume that there's probably seven other things we didn't even name. But it's it's all a part of it. Mm -hmm. If we where's my story going oh we're almost there because then i we're gonna talk about the holocaust in just a second oh damn okay um shoot where was i oh a diagnosis not yeah being able to to really know what the thing is and not i'm i'm gonna go ahead and say hi i'm a postmodernist. uh I <laughs> social constructionism and i think we need to be careful mm. um, so i think that i think weirdly leads us to seminary, which is the point of the story, because this is where I think I developed the name change of mm. Christian. All, all of that stuff is important, but it was all the stuff that just set, kept sort of kicking me out of Christian. Yeah. Um, because I think after, I think after college, I also came out mm-hmm. and it was, I was still grappling with what all that meant. But I think in, that's when I also was like, what's up for grad school? And then I landed in seminary, which I'm very grateful for like I apply, I don't know if you know that I applied as agnostic. Like I, you, you put it right on there. With it your, was in my admission. Uh, right? as, um, I think it was like the first, maybe like the first or second sentence. But it was, uh-huh. it was just like, bam. This seems pertinent. <laughs> just to let you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember being really nervous about it. And I had, I was living with a wonderful person at the time who just happens to be the daughter of one of the professors. Mm. Uh, I was talking to her through that moment and I was like, I don't know if I want to announce that I'm gay and agnostic. Right. Uh, and she very wisely said, like, are you? Yes. Do you think they'll find out? <laughs> yeah. What happens if they don't accept it? Mm-hmm. And I said like, well, then I, that's probably not a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. To which she very wisely said like, would you prefer to know that in your application? <laughs> Yeah, I had the I had the same thing with when I applied. I was like, first of all, the, I was like, do I want to tell them that I'm trans and genderqueer? Because I I knew like, and I had talked to some people, and they were like, yeah, there's a lot of like gay and bi people on campus. And I was like, what about trans? And they're like, no, but it should be okay. And I was like, I don't know, I'm kind of nervous about telling. And then the other thing is that I'm I identify as a Catholic Presbyterian, okay. and being like. Will that be weird? Will that confuse them and stuff? Just, yeah. It's a scary thing to have to make that decision, for sure. For some people, they might just think, like, oh, well, it's just being accepted. I'm like, no, because this could turn into a crisis of housing, a a crisis of I just spent two years of finances on a school that I'm now bailing on. Right, yeah. The stakes are higher. It's, yeah. I want to be accepted. Yeah. Yeah, these things about you are going to going to show up in your conversations and classes, your your essays and sermons and stuff that you're going to get graded on. It's going to impact so much. It's not just like one quirky little fact about you. It's very much going to impact whether the curricula is going to um, matter to you, whether it's even going to be of any interest to you. Uh-huh. But thankfully, I did it. Uh, and then thankfully, the seminary was like, OK, come on in. Uh, uh-huh. 
take some money. Here you go. <laughs> I know, right? Here's, your, here's some tuition money. Have fun. Okay. Which felt like, oh, okay, this isn't a trap, is it? But <laughs> oh, we'll go anyways. Uh, I happened to meet my seminary bestie on my first day. Nice. Uh, Lara, do you know Lara Barclay? Mm-hmm. We we were paired up on our first day, and it was oh thank God. Um, <laughs> just, I, I think she when I met her, I was like I the whole morning I was like Eric, what the heck did you just do? Um, <laughs> it's another like where you got excited but forgot to read the meeting, and like is this gonna, is this gonna work? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I met I met her, and she introduced herself as a fellow therapy student mm-hmm. who is very much into social justice and uh, LGBTQ rights, and, nice. and of course feminist womanist things. And she was an ordained Baptist preacher, and she was this. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. What was that one? The Baptist one? I was yeah. like, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> a gay affirming woman Baptist. Ooh, yeah. Oh <laughs> Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it, it was sort of that permission to challenge the status quo through the yes. company, the friend, um, yeah. which I'm, uh, I'm very grateful I met her that morning because mm-hmm. I love her dearly. And also we, through humor and debauchery, we made it through grad school. And I don't <laughs> know that I could have, I would have made it through just fine, but she, she made the experience wonderful and we made it a damn good team um, because I, I knew interventions and I didn't know how to pray. And she knew how to pray in a way that I needed, but didn't know mm. how to verbalize. Um, I love that. Yeah. Part of the problem of agnostic is I'm, I, I got very good at saying what I, I didn't know or didn't believe. But mm-hmm. on moments where I needed it, I didn't know how to claim what I knew. Um, yeah. I think through seminary, that was something that I really appreciated. That that was where I got to start building. Through seminary, I gave myself permission to see it as like a very, the ironic of being certain and agnosticism. I hear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, I, I know that my brain is tiny and mm-hmm. compared to the size of the world, I know I'm right. never going to be able to collect all of the information that I need. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. that's not the point. Yeah. Um, maybe the point is thinking about what does it mean to be bigger than humanity? Uh, mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a person out like bigger than just one experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah. then we started thinking about processes of love, affirmation, family, and that started to become my interventions at work. If I had a kiddo who was feeling suicidal, it, I, I could have him call a crisis hotline. Right. Yeah. Or I could also get him sitting, touching next to someone who affirmed him mm-hmm. and to help ground his anxiety or depression so he could see that there are other paths to moving on. Like, yeah. it might be really scary, but death is not the best option at the time. Yeah, I understand that might feel that way. Um, mm-hmm. And your community is going to try to push push the walls and make it safe so that we can help you navigate. Yeah, um, I like that a lot. Because I mean, I, like crisis hotlines are good, but like like you're saying, like if there's an embodied option, a closer option, that's often the more helpful option. What I I think it's imbalance of process. Like the crisis helpline is helpful because you have a person talking to you and affirming you. Yeah, um, and it's like but, immediate if you're and if you if you don't have those affirming people in your life. Wonderful reason. That hotline's great. Yeah, I'm gonna have you call the hotline, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna try to figure out how to build the rest of your community. <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, and um, because right. we're, we're building right. a whole system, not just yeah, who's right and who is wrong. Yes, yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Someone posted something that I shared yesterday on Facebook. Check it out because okay. I, but mm-hmm. uh, it was like what most people think suicide prevention is. And it's the crisis hotline. What suicide prevention actually is. And it's all this list of systemic stuff. Yes. That yes. Is, Housing. And yeah, I've seen lists like that. And as someone who does the work, yeah, the 150%. Yeah. If I have a suicidal client in my office, which I've had several of, mm-hmm. um, it's housing. It's, haha, Maslow. They, it's hard to make those feelings go away when you genuinely don't see any hope in the systems that you're stuck in. Yeah. yeah. And if we add shame to that. Yeah. To make you feel like yeah. something's wrong with you for. Suicide. What do you think your parents would say? Oh, Lord. Like, add a whole mountain of self-loathing to all the other crap. <laughs> Perfect. Reminds me of like pimp my ride. It's just like, Hey, I heard you like being sad. So I got some sadness for your sadness. <laughs> um, so. How you feel about the Holocaust? I mean, we yeah, no, let's discuss it. What we were talking about is needing to be able to wade into the difficult stuff and being able to do that together. Yeah. Yes. We're not going to walk. I'm not going to take us like all the way in. So I took a course in seminary that was my favorite. It, it was a rough course, but mm-hmm. I, I think 
doing the work that I was doing, I was grateful to have permission to like sit in some of this. Um, and that was biblical, biblical interpretation after the Holocaust. Um, um, it was a really good course, uh, uh-huh. very uncomfortable. And yeah, so uh, here's so my big takeaways from what I've learned. This is not the only thing that we've learned from the Holocaust, but from my story and what I do, this is a really important piece that I have learned. Um, mm-hmm. Postmodernist is going to be my name because of events mm-hmm. like the Holocaust. And mm-hmm. it, if someone is killed in the name of liberation, I don't think And for me, I think this is where I'm going to get into a fun thesis statement in just a second. I remember uh, one of the most profound things that I learned in that class, and damn it, I was going to look this up and I forget. Uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was Bonhoeffer, but it might have been Bonhoeffer. Okay. Um, do you remember who said, uh, like, if you're going to have a theological claim, I need you to have enough confidence in it to tell it to a child sitting in the Holocaust? Oh, Lord. Um, I don't know. If you can say it to a child sitting in the Holocaust and you feel okay about it, Mm-hmm. It's probably sound theology. Right. And so then things like um, prosperity gospel shit or like, <laughs> yeah, that's not something that that just falls, that crumbles away when you have something that big and horrific. Yeah. It's a, it's a gorgeous check for that. I think it's also a gorgeous check for us versus them. Um, mm-hmm. it, is, it is a human we. Yeah. We, we have to see us as a human species because mm-hmm. if not, We've got a slippery slope to genocide. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think yeah. from that perspective, I think that's really when I went into like full-blown postmodernism. Because I, I think these days I would say uh, modernist theology is what I'm going to claim to be like. I have a big T truth. I have the truth. I have the light. And I have the way. Right. Um, right. If you'd like to come join me on my truth, you can also earn salvation. Um, <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Congrats. And I, I think a lot of the theology that we saw prior, because we also think about the Holocaust, like we have, we're chatting on Zoom right now. Mm-hmm. Um, technology wasn't there. And I don't know that right. conversations were happening as readily because I, I don't know that yeah. it's a lot easier to do this. And Yeah, and I think you, the um, conversations were happening, but not everyone had access to them, and which is still true, but there's more access now than there was then. If you don't have access to certain voices, you're going to miss things. Yeah. So I think for me, I, from that, I really gathered the experience of like humanity is sacred. Everyone is divinely created. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, modernism is not, I, I, if I, yeah, I think a modernist theology is a slippery slope to genocide. Yeah. Uh, if you want to, you, so you've sort of named what modernism is. Do you want for listeners a, a probably oversimplified a quick idea of what postmodernism is? Um, yes. Uh, so postmodernism is going to be, for the way I interpret it, would be many things are true. Um, it, it is instead of focusing on big T truths, we have little T truths and they are, are all compatible. We have to find a way to make them compatible. I, well, I mean, like you said, embracing that uncertainty instead of pretending you have all the answers. I think the way that I, so the thing I have said most, and if you want a great way to form a theology, work, work in a pandemic is a therapist. Oh Lord, yeah. <laughs> I am less concerned of a theology with good answers. I want a theology with good process. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Learning how to, to care about one another as a system. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. How do we make room for adversity? Uh, I, I grew up in Christianity. And I think, is it John 9? Where Christ, uh, instead of following the rigid rules of the Sabbath, right. spits into Christ's hands, right. throws it into the mud, and then wipes it on the face of mm-hmm. uh, and his blindness is cured. Mm-hmm. that's a wild story and i, I it's yes. that as someone who is feeling more confident in my faith and being able to name my faith i love i love that because it's it's good process that also flirts with method messing with the status quo yeah um, which yeah. i think in the year 2021 ah, that's a good lesson to be listening to mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> and asking what is the point of Sabbath? Because like, of course, like, especially like where the Pharisees headed, which was rabbinical Judaism, which we have today, the Sabbath is a beautiful thing. And like, I think Jews across time have asked the question, what is the purpose of Sabbath? Why do we rest? And I think Jesus was part of that too, like that he was one of those rabbis asking, why do we have a Sabbath if it's going to prevent us from helping other people? My theology is going to rely a lot more on good questions than good answers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, good, good questions and good process. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Same.
<laughs> I, I think that might be part of my field, though. I, I can't rely on these answers because they, mm. they don't exist. I, I work with kids, and I work with mm -hmm. a lot of kids who've, who've experienced abuse yeah. uh, in many different ways. Um, mm -hmm. There are uh, ACEs, which are adverse childhood experiences. Um, yeah. uh, it would be a trigger warning, but I have them on my wall, and I can read mm -hmm. them. If I read them, I'm also going to read you counter ACEs. Would you like a quick spiel on ACEs? Sure. Yeah, so I'm going to read these. I'm not going to go into detail on what they are. Um, okay. For the adverse childhood experiences, these are 10 sort of experiences that we can look at um, as researchers and as mental health providers. Um, yeah. um, I believe some of your listeners may have experienced that you might. I bet, yeah. They're, as a therapist, I've learned that, yeah, ACEs are maybe more common than we think they are. Yeah, Unf um, I mean, I wish it weren't true, but... <laughs> I would love to work myself out of a job, but... yeah. So these are 10, and they've noticed that the more of these we have, the, the more uh, struggles or adversity that person could deal with in their adult life. Right, um, right. So, like we've seen it in mental health, also physical health. Right. It, it, this is where I'm going to really focus in a, a systemic way because it's, it's not just mental health. These are, they've got ripply effects. Right. Now, we're just naming what they are. There's also a piece of this where because we have named these, we now know what helps. Um, and that, that is where I have hope because we live in a broken world, but we're mending every day yeah. as we get there. Um, so just to read what these are, uh, we've got physical abuse, mm -hmm. verbal abuse, and sexual abuse are going to be the three abuses that we're looking at. Um, mm -hmm. Also looking at physical neglect and emotional neglect. And mm -hmm. then we have an alcoholic parent mm -hmm. um, or someone, a parent dealing with substance use that is, that is showing up in the home. A family member incarcerated or in jail, um, the disappearance of a parent through divorce, death, or abandonment, mm -hmm. um, a family member diagnosed with a mental illness. Um, and this one says mother, but I'm going to translate it just a parent, mm -hmm. uh, a parent who's a victim of domestic violence. Okay. Um, that, that's yeah. not the end of the story. I'll give you your counter aces. So they've, these are things that actually help. Um, mm -hmm. The biggest counter ace I, I'll have because we have that research and it, it is what I remind myself of every day when I'm, I'm out of energy. They were looking at kids who had ACEs, um, yeah. various settings. So when we're looking at kids with ACEs, we might be looking at residential, we might be looking at um, community outpatient mental health. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the ACEs just identified them to be part of the research. <laughs> like, oh, cool, come on in. Um, but then they were trying to figure out if we have these kids, we know that kids get through it. We know that some of these kids mm. have to be incredibly successful. Yeah. What's happening? We're, how, are, how are kids making it through? Yeah. And so they looked at a lot of different variables to try to figure out what it could be. They were looking at uh, gender or whatever that might mean, uh, sure. height, weight, uh, ethnicity. It, yeah. They were throwing anything into the research machine to see if they could get a right. corresponding result. Um, and they found one. Uh, it was overwhelmingly positive that if kids have this particular thing, they were, they were going to do pretty well. Would you like to know what it is? This is like the quiz show portion of... I almost want to guess. Yeah, um, please do. Is it any, like someone in their corner? Is it like... That's exactly... Just the, one person? One caring, safe yes. adult. Yeah, um, I don't know. That just makes so much sense to me. Like, uh, And it's so liberating. Someone to help them through whatever hell they're going through. Yeah. yeah. Someone to be able to say, you were divinely created. This yeah. is not your fault. Yeah. You, love and you deserve stability yeah let's get you there love uh that that's what it was mm -hmm. i can see why that gets you through horrible <laughs> days is knowing you can be that person or help people find that person yeah, yeah. and that there's power in that uh mm -hmm. I, I mean i could go to work every single day and never sleep and i would never be done yeah. And I mean, thank God you're not the only person doing this work. So you don't have to do that. Thank God. To, yeah. to whom it may concern. Thank yes. You. yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very grateful that I am not the only one, but that, that is going to be something that I need. Um, they've also done research and those aren't our only counter races. There are other things. Um, but yeah, the, the most overwhelming thing was one, one safe adult. Uh, I have, I have had days where I didn't know how I could handle all the stuff. And I've had one person lovingly say one thing and give me a hug and like mm -hmm. it all fit into place where I didn't have to hold it. Yeah. Being a human's weird. It's one of the third weirdest <laughs> things I've ever done. Uh, being on grinder, <laughs> going to nowhere bar and being a human in that order. Oh my gosh. I love it. Um, would you like the counter races? 
Sure. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, so, absolutely. If you're going to give me the aces, I got to know yes. the counters. <laughs> um, so if we go back to this idea of like the process is a safe caring adult, you're going to notice some themes and what these are because yeah. a lot of them are yeah. getting you, community. they're setting up process for community and safety. Yes. Mm-hmm. So our counter aces are, because keep in mind, these are children mm-hmm. liking school. Can you feel safe and uh, yeah. fine? Even if it's one, we got one class we like. Cool. Yeah. I don't care if someone is behind because if they're suicidal, I don't care what the curriculum is. Let's, let's help them be. Yeah. Yeah. Just me, but (laughs) Um, teachers who care, we're still narrowing in on adults. Um, Opportunities to have fun. I think playfulness is something I've really learned is important because when we're playful, we're finding our own solutions, um, which I think is an important part of learning how to move forward. If we're not given opportunity to play, we may not, give ourselves opportunity to make bold choices if we need them. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, if most of your life just sucks, but you know, on Friday, you get to go do this thing you like, mm-hmm. you'll hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. We only made it to three opportunities. To have fun. Um, a predictable home environment um, or elements of predictability and a home environment. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling comfortable with yourself hi, what's up, affirmation and authenticity. Right. Uh, having a caregiver when, who you feel safe with, which is yeah. important. Mm-hmm. Um, beliefs that provide comfort. Mm. I, I, at some point, we can talk about my obsession with a good place and ethics. Yes. Are you, are you a fan? I adore It's like top three favorite shows of all time. So good. I would almost call that my sacred text these days. Mm. Um, I like that. I think about it a lot when I'm like writing faith stuff. The season three finale, the moment where Eleanor calls for Janet and is in distress and mm. just asks, like, Janet, what's the answer? Yeah. I have sobbed to that damn thing. Can you just, you know, like, tell me the answer? Sorry? You know, the answer to everything. You know all there is to know in the universe. Crunch the numbers. Tell me the answer. What's the point of love if it's just going to disappear? And how is it worse to not love anybody? There has to be meaning to existence. Otherwise, the universe is just made of pain, and I don't like the thought of that. So tell me the answer. I know how you feel. The more human I become, the less things make sense. But that's part of the fun, right? What do you mean? If there were an answer I could give you to how the universe works, it wouldn't be special. It would just be machinery fulfilling its cosmic design. It would just be a big, dumb food processor. But since nothing seems to make sense, when you find something or someone that does, it's euphoria. I guess all I can do is embrace the pandemonium. Find happiness in the unique insanity of being here. Now. We'll do this together. Thanks, Janet. That scene specifically has gotten me through some of the worst days of work and just mm-hmm. when, when life was not good in 2020. Yeah. It, yeah. A therapy session for me. So, thinking about The Good Place, um, are you familiar with the story of the seven blind mice? It sounds familiar, but you're going to have to tell me. And you should tell me anyway for the listeners. So, okay. um, so as we're, we're rounding out closer to what I call my name, here's the problem with a name. If someone says, hey, uh, what, what's your face? I don't have time to tell them this whole story. <laughs> and yes. it's all important. I, I have to like figure out. Like, yes. Um, yeah. Seven blind mice might be one of the fastest ways I have to explain agnosticism. I think, so pluralist agnostic, I'm going to throw a womanist perspective on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love womanist theology. It's, yes. It's, it's very, it's so powerful. Yeah. It's pretty damn dope. I like it. Um, so this is a pluralist agnostic told through my rendition of a story called The Seven Blind Mice. Um, so there were seven blind mice. Um, they were a community and they, they loved each other. But they were also very excited to go on adventures. And they were always so excited to see who could figure it out first. And so on Monday, Monday mass went out and they found something. 
They scurried around. They could not see, but they felt it. And they, they came back to the group and said, y'all, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You would not believe it, but I have just found this wonderful growth of trees. They're sturdy. They're beautiful. I scurried around them. You all have to see this. And maybe we could name it. So on Tuesday, the Tuesday mouse had listened and they went out to go discover. And they went to the same location. They followed the path, but they found no trees. So they came back and they said, look, I don't know what you saw, but I made a discovery. I found four gorgeous canyons, a whole path of them, actually. And I, I, I think they're part of this gorgeous, gorgeous feat. I, I, we, you have to come see it. It's amazing. So Wednesday Mouse was like, y'all, let me, let me take care of this. I don't know if these mice actually say y'all, but in my story. I they, love it. So Wednesday Mouse goes out and they scurry back very quickly. They're like, it's a snake. It's a flying snake. I, I, I heard it in the air. I, I felt it whiz past me. I, there was a flying snake, and it seemed friendly. You also come check this out. And so Thursday, the Thursday mouse goes out. They follow the path, and they come back, and they're just shaking their head. And they're like, you get so excited. It wasn't a flying snake. It was a hose. Oh. It was And I, I even got hit by its water. Mm. I, I don't know what you think you're seeing. But it's a hoax. Friday Mouse was getting really tired of all that. Like, what in the world are you all doing? So Friday Mouse goes out. And of course, they come back and a, a, new, a new discovery. Um, there is this gorgeous mountain range. I think everyone else was just seeing stuff in, in the breeze. But there was this gorgeous mountain range that they, they went over one side and down the other. Much, much bigger than these canyons. This was huge. Saturday Mouse... Kind of at this point, always used to being the last one. You go out and they come back, like, guys, it's fine. It's a carnival. It's a yeah. carnival. They have fans and and they have all these wonderful things. There's a there's a water show. It's it's so amazing. And there's there's swords. They had fans and swords. You all should come check it out. Sunday Mouse was the wisest of the seven. Mm-hmm. Sunday was very good about listening and searching before they jumped to any conclusions. Mm. So they had listened all week and, and made notes and they went out and scurried around, listening carefully to each of the six mics and what they had seen. And late Sunday evening, the Sunday mouse comes back and the mice are waiting. They're waiting for them. Who was right? Was it me? Was it me? Mm. And the Sunday mouse just giggles and says, well, you were all right. And you were all wrong because yes, what was there did have the sturdiness and columns of a grove of trees mm. and you could find canyons around it. It did resemble a flying snake or a hose. Mm. And yes, from certain elements, it might seem like a mountain or it might seem like a carnival, but none of this is the full truth. And now I would like for all of you to meet my new friend, the elephant. Mm-hmm. Oh, the snake is the trunk. <laughs> I'm putting it all together. Uh-huh. Are the canyons just like... Traps. The, the mouse went to go find the trees and the elephant had moved. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I love that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think if I'm going to boil down my theology, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm running with limited expertise. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I'm supposed to get it. But if I treat others with dignity and authenticity and affirmation and love. Mm-hmm. So I told you we were going to talk about heaven and hell. Uh-huh. We've arrived. Yes. The good place and the bad place. <laughs> yes. Um, because I think these aren't places for me. They're processes. Mm-hmm. I've never been to heaven. I've never been to hell. I, what do you mean? No. I know. <laughs> By the time I visit one or the other, if either exists, like, it may not be helpful <laughs> for me. Well, to help. Sure. So here's what I've learned so far about heaven and hell. Um, I have experienced heaven and hell on this earth, and I think the clients I've worked with have too. Um, Hell is moments of isolation, Mm -hmm. moments where you feel like you were created in error, where nothing that you can do is possibly going to be worth you being around, so it'd be better off just for you to leave. Yeah. I think isolating someone and removing their authenticity from them is one of the cruelest, most hellish things that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. 
but I also have heaven. <laughs> so if I think about hell's opposite, heaven gets pretty simple. It's a place where we can be and be loving to one another. And that's enough. Um, yeah. Where food scarcity is, it, it, all of the systemic things where it, it, I, heaven is a place without scarcity. Um, I don't think it's a place. I'm not going to go Joel Osteen on this one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we're going full on prosperity gospel, but mm-hmm. the gentle comfort of knowing that you are loved because you were created as you were. Um, yeah. And that is enough. That feels like heaven to me. Um, yeah. So, ironically, pluralist agnostic, I may not have a whole lot of answers, but that at the end of the day, if I think about ethics, okay, it, it gets really complicated. And then at the end, it gets weirdly real simple. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because when you focus on heaven and hell as something here and now, like there's yeah. stuff you can actually sort of do in response to that to cultivate more heaven for people and try to break down the hell. So I remember going back to substance abuse counseling, one of, one of my favorite moments, I, I think this is the reason I've, I've done this for 12 years now. I've been in mental mm-hmm. health for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Very easily could have been an accountant. Oh. <laughs> 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 we chose. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I keep doing it. Mathematically, it makes no sense. But I, I, hi, I'm here and I'm, I'm here for a while. And I'm, I am all right with that. One of my favorite moments when I worked as a therapist, uh, so the way the system worked is they would, and they were coming in to receive methadone or some sort of uh, medication to help them as they were dealing with opiate withdrawals and trying to right. lead stability, uh, mm-hmm. harm reduction model. But it was my job while they were essentially withdrawing for 24 hours. I had to ask them a poop ton of questions <laughs> about lots of details that I don't even want to answer when I'm fully healthy. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, that was an hour and a half generally for each person and like oh my gosh kudos to them because i was like i'm really sorry i'm gonna I'm that gonna you have to go through this <laughs> yeah yeah i was like but yeah. thank you for being here i i'm if this isn't fun i can at least try to be a little humorous and, and love it in the process so you feel like you're not just being tortured right um, yeah it, it was just a thing i started doing mm-hmm. and then i started noticing um I, I've worked a lot with 12 step. Um, and in 12 step, there was the idea that you have to announce you are an addict. You are, you are broken, right. uh, in a sense, which is yeah. something I've always sort of, I don't know, mm. doesn't sit well. Um, after an hour and a half of just extending love and like, I'm sorry, we have to answer these questions, but yeah, we, we, we can create a space of love in this tiny cubicle. So many of them would enter as addicts and it, the way that they carry their body, the way that they talk to themselves, it was this fully embodied acceptance of I am a monster, I'm an addict. Yeah. Um, and I watch people leave my office as people um, because I don't, I, for me, it was like, I'm just having a conversation with you. Yeah. What I realized over and over is people would come back and say like, no one has talked to me like a person in years and you were the first person. Wow. Had. Thank you. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that's what I was doing, but you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Something that should just be like, of course you were, but people don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, and I, when it comes to addiction, it's a coping skill. I, I understand why people can get there and I understand how hard it can be to get out. I'm not yeah. going to, I don't want to add judgment that I have no use for it. Right. No. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think being treated like a human with worth is, one of the most empowering things I can do for anyone. If, if I can incorporate that in how I do my job and how I think about theology. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I love that. And that actually did make me tear up for real. A <laughs> <laughs> and I think also the difference, like when you name that you are like an addict, what does that carry? Is it, does it just mean that you have this, this sort of struggle that you're going through? Like everyone has different struggles. Yeah. That or does it mean, like you said, like you're a monster, that you're apart from humanity, that you are broken? Like what does it what does it mean to name yourself an addict? Does it have to mean all that brokenness and that shaming? Or can it just be like, hey, I'm Avery and I have depression? That doesn't mean I'm a bad person type thing. Yeah. yeah. Like the I difference. Something that I've I'm happy you said that because this is a thought I've been wrestling with and, and trying to yeah. Um this happened in the course of this past year. I'm, I'm very happy that this is a thought that my brain produced. Um, I think a lot of people fear that they are broken. Yes, absolutely. 
this world is broken. It was broken before we arrived, and I fear it will be broken after we depart. Mm. Um, it's mending and healing, and there is love in the midst of that brokenness, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's broken. I think we need to start there. I think it gets a little easier to navigate if we don't think of ourselves as broken people, but as divinely created people who were dropped in a broken world, and we've been injured. Mm. Yeah, that like injured rather than broken. There's a lot less blame there. And the fact that the fact that any of us come out even somewhat longing to be good and longing to help others is a testament to our goodness. Agreed. Yeah. Like it's so easy to become bitter and even to become sort of like I've suffered, so I want other people to suffer. That that so many of us don't take that path it has to mean something about us not being, yeah, broken, terrible. I don't know. This is where it gets really complicated and really simple again. Um, <laughs> I working with kids. In, so one of the other jobs I had before I got into private practice, I worked in foster care for two years. Mm. I love working in that field. And it, it absolutely broke me um, yeah. because it, it's not, a, not yeah. everyone thinks about it, but it's happening every day. Yeah. Uh, and when you're working in it. It's and it tough. is that thing of like, the system is so fucked up. Like it could be a nourishing thing to yeah. get to help kids connect to new loving adults it could be the experience of being asked as a therapist what you what you would do and you're able to say like i have concerns here if we go here i need to do this and then time and time again just watching all of those recommendations not happen because Um, a lawyer got there first and actually hey this was plan b but now it's plan a here we go uh just watch all the stuff that i was concerned about like play out in real and i'm like yeah called it called it yeah that whole team comes back and it's like what do we do oh yeah so in the midst of all of that i had my counter race uh i was there for d kids which was helpful to at the end of the day i don't need to worry about the adults Mm. Mm -hmm. the kid does not have as much power cool i I got you you i am aligned with you Mm -hmm. Um, there was a moment that i saw a few times and i i tried to take as many mental pictures as i could um Mm working with kids in the foster care system, they're, they're bouncing. There's no stability, no certainty in housing. And right. you don't always know the parents you're going to get. Um, yeah. So you get these kids who are really good at just moving uh, and not, not really settling. Yeah. Uh, sometimes smiles don't happen and they do, but they're, they're partial smiles. Yeah. Um, there were several moments where I, we would finally get a kiddo in a safe situation mm-hmm. and they would smile. And it was this like soul affirming smile. It was relaxed. It was, and it was a smile that I don't think they had seen in years. And I, it made me sob every single time I saw it. It was the best sob, but I was like, yes, we're going to still have B's and C's and we're probably still going to punch someone next year because they have earned it. Um, But I found a loving, safe smile for you. And you feel like you can trust this house. Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to have the words ever to know what, if I'm actually doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but that, that loving, affirming smile, who is not, uh, no white man told, <laughs> told them to do it. It was just this organic, yeah. safe smile. And I, right. every child I, I work with, I hope that that's something that you, they get to know. Yeah. That's my theology in a nutshell. That's we get all the womanists and all the uh, all of the complicated stuff, and then it just it's complicated, but it gets to be thankfully pretty simple. If yeah, we pay attention to a process of love. Mm-hmm. I love, yeah, and it, I mean that makes sense to me that like as you ask the the really complicated questions and you go through this process, what comes out of all that is pretty simple. Of like help people find that security and that, and that love and like to go with the pluralist part of, of the name you have for yourself is it turns out that there are a lot of different, often similar, but different processes that kind of end in something similar to that. I think the pluralist, it makes me not be judgmental Mm -hmm. uh, because I I don't have, there are other ways that I can get to judgmental. Um, (laughs) But if I judge, I'm removing people from the room. My job is to get, I have to keep them in. Yeah. How was that for the first episode of a new year? As we enter 2022, 
please let me know if there's anything in particular you would like to see for Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. If you have ideas, feedback, questions, concerns, anything, hit me up at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. What I'm planning so far is to keep on sharing interviews primarily from trans folks of any faith background, as well as more episodes that are just me waxing poetic about various things related to faith and queerness, and maybe disability too. For instance, I'm currently reading a book of articles all about stories of saints in medieval Europe through a trans and genderqueer lens. Maybe I'll put out an episode sharing some of that information. I plan to posit more ideas in my February episode, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, contact me if you have any thoughts. In the meantime, keep yourself and others safe and break some binaries, being a blessing to the world with your life. Mm-hmm.